Hi everyone, welcome back to How to College First Gen, where we have real conversations about what it's like to be a first gen student before, during, and after college. I'm your host, Shiv. Today, we are joined by Mark Membrenio, who is a first gen American and a graduate student at MIT right now. We dive into his experiences growing up and going to school in Texas as a Latino, discovering his passion for construction and housing, and the big goals he has for the future. Let's dive in. Hey, Mark. Thanks for joining. Hey, thanks for having me, Shiv. So today we're going to talk about, like I mentioned in the intro, this journey that you're, you're going on as the first gen MIT student, as the first gen engineer, trying to figure out your impact in the world specifically towards construction. But that's going to be way later in the conversation. Yeah. Let's dial it way back to the journey that you have as a first gen American. Like, can you maybe tell me, like, where's your family from? How did, your, how did they come to America? How was your first gen childhood? Yeah, so my parents immigrated here from Nicaragua, it's a Central American country, and I'm first generation American. But actually, my parents immigrated here because they went to school. They ended up uh, studied in the small school in Arkansas called Harding. Uh, it was a Christian school, and so they got some kind of scholarship or something through the Walton, um, Sam Walton. And so I was born in Arkansas, moved shortly after to Texas, and so. It was it was really nice because I I was able to have an American citizenship and everything, but the what, the best thing I think from growing up is that my parents took me back to Nicaragua when I was young and all through growing up and so I was able to spend time with my family and spend time with them my cousins my aunts and uncles it was great but Nicaragua is a very very different place from Texas uh, from the U S in general. Mm-hmm. It's a much poorer country. There's a lot of issues with the government, uh, rolling blackouts. At the time, there was very little running water, um, only during certain times of the day. And so, and yeah, it was just something that I saw growing up and I got used to. And it was pretty formative in my years because it just helped me put a lot of things in perspective and gave me a lot of humility and stuff like that. Did and you go like back and forth and they got to go quite a bit? About once a year. Oh, nice. Um, like in like the summertime? Mm-hmm. So it basically, sometimes it was summer, sometimes it was winters. Um, just depends. So Nice. Um, and you're fluent in Spanish, I'm assuming, like from childhood. Yeah, it was my first language. Oh, nice. And so I actually, when I went to school, I didn't know English. And so <laughs> it's actually really funny because my teachers told my parents to start talking to me in English so I could learn English. Yeah. And they did. And I learned it and I went through ESL and everything. But then at some point they reverted back to talking to me in Spanish but I kept talking to him in English. That's actually how we talk. So like, they, they mainly talk to me in Spanish and I talk to them in English. <laughs> I love that. So, so it's, it's very interesting. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So I did, I did ESL and stuff like that. So it's, it's funny because my, uh, my fiance, I was a guest a few episodes ago. She mentioned that she does the same thing. Right? Like, like every time I spend time at her house, she speaks English with her parents and then they speak <laughs> Gujarati back to us, which is very interesting. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's funny. It's just something I got used to and I never changed back. <laughs> it's a so, first gen experience. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but cool. You grew up in Texas. Did you grow up in a predominantly Latino neighborhood or like a school or like was it hard balancing that part of your identity growing up in, in Texas or how how was that? Yeah, so it's actually very interesting. So Texas is super primarily Mexican mm-hmm. and I grew up kind of like an inner city Dallas. Um, so it was pretty diverse, but again, it was primarily Mexican. So it was very it's very interesting. I actually, have, some of my best friends are Mexican and stuff like that, but I remember growing up 
it was almost an insult if you called me a Mexican because that's not who I was, but everybody just thought I did because I spoke Spanish or whatever the way I looked. And so it was very, very interesting. And, you know, and then my Mexican friends would make fun of me too, right? Because I was the only one from Nicaragua or Central America. And they would say, where's Nicaragua? Is that somewhere inside Mexico? So, <laughs> um, no, but it was cool. I mean, I, 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 it was it was great. But it was an interesting kind of dichotomy in a sense because yeah. when I was in Texas, I was the Nicaraguense. And when I was in Nicaragua, I was the gringo, right? And so it's almost like I never really fit in in either place. I was always different. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so that was an interesting uh, way to grow up, I guess, in that sense. So. Yeah, like that, mm-hmm. that balance between being like two things or being neither is really hard. Like, do you feel like now that you're older, you feel like this attachment to both now? Like, you feel much more closer to both sides of your 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 identity, your Americanness and your Nicaraguanness. Yeah, in a sense, it is actually very interesting. I think I was almost ashamed of it when I was younger because, again, I didn't fit in because I wasn't Mexican. So you know, there was a couple different cultural things and some traditions that we didn't do in Nicaragua. So I almost felt left out sometimes. And it was almost, I was ashamed, but as I grew older, I grew to appreciate my home because again, I was going back every year and I had a lot of pride from where I'm from because my parents sacrificed a lot escaping. So, so when they did come, I forgot to mention this, they, it was right after kind of like during the civil war. And so they were displaced and they had to do rations. They could barely eat and stuff. And so they, they worked a lot to get, me to the states so i do actually do have pride in both again coming from texas i'm sure that you know right there's a lot of you know texan pride in that sense mm-hmm. but i am actually very proud of both identities and actually very proud of having that mix because it's almost like i'm able to pick the best from both i'm glad i think every first-gen experience is this when they're like young in elementary school or middle school where they're trying to figure out like who they are in a, in a group of peers that are different than themselves but i'm glad that over time we have the fortune of being able to, to identify with both and then fit in, in, in both, which is nice. But going from that, so let's let, let's fast forward a little bit from that childhood into your undergrad, your career. How did you end up going into the school you went to, which was Texas A&M, right? Yeah, yeah, that was my undergrad. So I guess going a little bit more back in high school, again, I'm going there every summer to Nicaragua. At this point, I'm working, and so I'm able to go a little bit more. So I was actually going maybe once or twice a year. My, own, my parents had stopped going just because of some, this was, the recession was hitting and stuff like that, too. Um, anyways, more of the story is I ended up getting a job during the summers at a, like a mission a couple hours north of the city. And then basically, I was able to not just see a lot of poverty. I had seen it grown up, but it was the first time I was able to help. And we did a whole bunch of different things, like medical brigades, construction projects, all these kind of things. And what I liked the most was construction. And I was pretty good at math and science, so I just thought it was the next best logical step is to learn how to design. Mm-hmm. Also, my grand my grandfather on my dad's side, he, he passed away before I was even born, but he had like a maybe sixth grade education and was a self kind of like mason in that sense. He did He built houses and buildings and stuff like that. And he built the house that my 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 dad grew up in and all his brothers and sisters and there was a massive earthquake in Nicaragua in the 70s that decimated the capital but that house stood up and that's a house that my grandmother's still in I go visit and I stay there and so that also is kind of like a you know like something personal that it's almost like I almost like kind of want to live in my grandfather's footsteps in that sense and and so that was like another thing doing the construction that story 
And so it just made logical sense. And that's why I ended up picking civil engineering when they're specializing in structural. It's inspiring to be able to follow, like, to, to want to follow those footsteps and like to, and to identify that, that experience you had in Nicaragua. How, like, how was it trying to figure that out in A&M though? Like, did you know this is like the major to do that thing you want to do? Like, did you know that like, these are the people you need to network with to get the job or the field or was it all clear to you or do you have to figure it out? Like with a kind of like ambiguous in the moment? Uh, yeah, it was pretty ambiguous. So I actually changed my major twice and stuff like that. And yeah, it's just, you go in with a plan that's not even really well thought out, <laughs> right? Everybody just telling you, you got to go to college, got to go to college, got to go to college. And there's good and bad, bad reasons for that too. But luckily my aptitude or whatever, like school. So it was a good decision for me. I mean, not necessarily for everyone, but, um, yeah, it was, it was I, I do remember feeling very confused because you're dealing with classes. You're first time I was out living by myself. You're trying to make friends. You're trying to like be social, keep up with schoolwork, trying to figure things out. Um, it was kind of a mess. Uh, but like I said, again, I, a lot of this still ties back of growing up both in Nicaragua and Texas. So again, this, this whole idea with the mission, I, because it was the first time I was helping people, it was almost like changed my life. And it kind of put me in this trajectory of kind of like doing this whole poverty alleviation type of thing. And I did a bunch of different things where there was different types of construction. I did water wells for a little bit. Actually, when I was at Texas A&M, I ran to a group of friends and we co-founded this kind of student-led nonprofit called Just for Water. We did water wells and water purification systems um, in very remote parts of Latin America where there was no running water or electricity. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, so I think from growing up i had this general goal of trying to help people mm-hmm. uh exactly how i do that has changed but i have tied a lot of my career decisions and stuff to kind of do two birds and one stone right obviously i need to make money to live but yeah. i do want to you know use the privilege that i have of being american growing up in the states to kind of help others have a better life in that sense that's amazing. And that and that's the entire thesis of the podcast. I'm gonna save the big impact thing okay. for yeah. a minute. But you mentioned yeah. that you, you worked on these projects at AM about this nonprofit that you started, specifically focused in Latin America, it sounds like. How was like being a Latino at Texas AM? Like were they able to find peers? Was it easy for you to, to find that community, especially as a first gen American? I'm assuming it may be difficult to like figure it all like, figure it all out as you're changing your major, as you're trying to work through all of that. Yeah, so you know, A&M is a very interesting school. It's one of the biggest schools in Texas. It's a really good engineering school, but it's yeah. also primarily white school. And it's not necessarily known to be the most progressive school. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's you know, there are some issues with that, too. But luckily, because of the scale of the student body, you do find your own community. So I, you know, played soccer. So I ended up, you know, meeting some friends through that. But then I ended up joining... Um, not by accident, I guess. I knew I was wanting to get more involved with student activities and stuff like that, so organizations. Mm-hmm. And they ended up joining a fraternity, and it was a Latino-based fraternity. So it was very different than, I guess, what you would see on TV and movies. It was very, very small because we're catering to a different demographic. And I, I do remember kind of vividly when I was going through the student um, org fair. You know, they have one every fall to showcase everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember going through the, the fraternity section and nobody would talk to me because, you know, that the primarily white fraternities, I guess they're looking for a certain demographic or whatever. And then I remember I had a friend and he was saying that he paid 
like $1,500 in dues for a semester or something ridiculous. I've heard, yeah. And then actually one of the guys that I played soccer with tapped me on the shoulder when I was walking around. He started talking. This is the one that I joined. It was Signal M the beta. And, you know, he I rushed and everything. And I remember the dues being maybe $100. But it's because we're catering to a different demographic, right? There's, yeah. you know, obviously you know, black and brown folk don't necessarily come from money as you know generational wealth has happened before for a whole variety of systemic reasons that we probably won't get into right now <laughs> but um yeah i do remember that very vividly that it was it was i don't know i don't want to say it was blatant racism or stuff like that but yeah it was just they were totally ignoring me in that sense and even the way the the greek life was set up it was very segregated because they had different councils for um you know, the MGC, which is the Multicultural Greek Council, which is funnels all, everybody, like Southeast Asians, multiculturals, Latinos. And it was really, you know, it was very separate in that sense. We didn't necessarily mingle with, I guess you could say, the white fraternities or sororities. But yeah, um, that's like good advice for our listeners, too. I'm assuming a lot of the our, our, our listeners are in high school and undergraduate or in graduate school. And they're probably feeling like I'm sure like uh, you and I have felt this level of exclusion in the past at some point because we're first gen. It's a different experience. So mm-hmm. being able to know that, like, even if you feel like that, you can find that community, that they, they exist, that you, there are people that are going to tap you on the shoulder during soccer games or connect with you on a dancing like Black and So there's always ways to find peers with similar experiences, similar culture that can help you feel like you belong. Yeah, that's, that's, that's for sure. And I know at some places it's harder than others. And again, I think I attributed that because of the scale of A&M, this, through numbers and very hip statistics, you're going to get that community. Yeah. But in a sense, I do remember, you know, various moments like that growing up. There's no, a, a lot of people have helped me get here. And it's also, I think it's very important for us to pay it forward in that sense, where we got to be doing the tapping on the shoulder now. Oh. You know, we got to be the one seeing the guy who's looking around aimlessly, kind of shy and kind of scared, you know, because you never know. You never, you don't know their story. That's true. And so, um, yeah, I, I do remember kind of reflecting on this and being very cognizant that you know I, I really really appreciated those moments when I was in school and trying to figure things out when things are kind of scary so it's good advice mm-hmm. um, okay so let's pivot over to where you are now this is your undergraduate which was a, a few years ago but now you're pursuing another degree you decided that you uh, you wanted to focus on engineering you got a job worked for a while and then you're like, no, no more job. Let me go back to school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did not think I was going to be coming back at school either. Uh, but yeah. yeah, so like, what school are you at? What program are you in? Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I'm back at MIT. I'm doing this program called Leader for Global Operations. It's a dual degree that you get a Master of Science and the MBA at the same time. On the engineering side, you get a pick. Um, and I actually picked against civil engineering, but not for the civil engineering sense. I'm doing more of a supply chain slash data role. But the reason I decided to come back, again, deals with a lot of my upbringing in Nicaragua. So as I was working as a structural engineer, I moved to the West Coast to learn how to do seismic design because I wanted to use my career. And again, kill two birds with one stone. Mm-hmm. We're making money, but also learning how to design in seismic regions because all Latino America is high seismic. And so I knew if I wanted to use my career to help out in whatever fashion I was doing, I needed to learn how to do that. So I was getting that professionally. I started, I was always volunteering at some nonprofit at some level. And the latest one that was pretty impactful was just a startup nonprofit in San Francisco called New Story. And their whole thesis was they were trying to solve homelessness all around the world. 
and they had a pretty big they have a pretty big goal of housing 100 million people in latin america within the next 10 years which is a huge huge number and i ended up volunteering for them as a research fellow and they kind of moved up to managing other research fellows and then becoming kind of like their uh, architecture engineer construction advisor so we were like researching new construction technologies figuring out how to prototype them how to scale them up mm-hmm. but i quickly started realizing and I, I think i had been realizing this even from way before you know poverty alleviation whatever fashion whether you're doing water housing whatever is super complicated and super hard obviously yeah. it's been a problem forever there's a lot of smart people have been working on it for a long time and what I started realizing is that I could become the world's best structural engineer. I could continue my career next 30, 40 years or whatever, become the world's best structural engineer, and it still wouldn't make that big of a difference. The problem is so, so complicated, right? There's a lot of finance, policy, dealing with different cultures, different socioeconomic st- status. It's, it's super, super complicated. And so I, I have always want to make the most impact at the biggest skills I can. And so I realized that you know, becoming a structural engineer was a good investment because I learned a lot of skills that I'm still going to be using. Mm-hmm. But I think I it, it's a means to an end, right? And I think I got to a comfortable enough level where I am valuable in that sense. But I know I want to diversify and learn different skills and learn uh, different uh, knowledge, essentially, in order to make better decisions um, because it, you know, it is such a complicated problem, super multifaceted. So that's the main reason I decided to come back to kind of get the business side to help to learn how to start and run a business, the engineering side, getting the data, supply chain stuff, you know, the buzzwords like artificial intelligence, machine learning, (laughs) and, you know, try to figure out how to blend all those skill sets into figuring out new innovative ways to tackle this problem. Because the way we've been doing it is helpful, right? We have a lot of organizations, you know, like the Red Cross, UN, all kind of things. But mm-hmm. I think if we're really going to be achieving these ambitious goals that the UN has said, that I'm sure you know about, we can't we, we can't do the same thing that we've been doing. We're going to have to find different ways. And so I don't have the answer for you, but that's kind of like why I came back. I'm yeah. glad that you were like, a, a, going back a little bit, you mentioned that you were working on that initiative uh, in California that's helping millions by 2030. That's an amazing initiative. I'm glad you're involved. I'm glad that's influencing your goals. And I completely agree. This is multidimensional. It's not easy. Financial policy. There's so many different uh, levels of, of challenges and problems. Why? So I guess maybe like tying that to your MSMBA, you said that your business will help you in one way and your engineering degree will help you in a different way. Is it proving to, to help you in those? Like it's been six months so far. But are you seeing that you're, you're gaining some of those insights? Are you being connected to people that can help you with that? The MSMBA going in the direction that you wanted to, to go, essentially. So far, it has. Um, and again, but <laughs> in, in, in a sense, it hasn't as well. I think we were talking about it the other day that I feel more confused and lost in what exactly what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> I think the general goal has stayed the same, right? I still yeah. want to make an impact. I still want to be fulfilled and make money obviously too right i'm I, you know i gotta gotta eat but exactly how i'm gonna do it i'm still not really sure i think i'm getting a little bit more confused but in general it has helped you know it, it, this msmba plugs you in with really smart people mit's one of the best universities in the world their mission is awesome that they they actually want to apply their research and knowledge into real world problems and there's a bunch of labs a bunch of professors that are doing really cool work that you know, we're plugged into and I have the privilege to have access to them and talk to them and get their advice and figure out, hey, why 
and it doesn't even have to do with poverty. You know, why hasn't you know this carbon reduction all throughout the world hasn't that why hasn't it been scaled up? Why don't people want to do it? You know, there's different reasons, and so and then the business side helps a lot too. You understand the financials, right? The, unfortunately, for better or for worse, right? This the world moves on money, and we have to be <laughs> able to understand that and be able to figure out how to incentivize people and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned earlier that like you're surprised that you kind of came back from the NBA. You weren't expecting to come back uh, like four years ago. Like, would you, would you imagine that you'd be here in LGO pursuing another graduate degree? No, never. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, this is the thing is just those degrees were really expensive and mm-hmm. I'm still have a whole bunch of debt from, also, I guess maybe I didn't mention this explicitly. After Texas A&M, I got a master's degree from MIT already, a master's of engineering. It was a one-year professional program because it's, uh, for structural engineers, we, it's the industry standard to have a master's. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to get in and out. But again, I put myself through undergrad. I put myself through grad school. That, that equates to a huge amount of debt. I think I have about, even after COVID, after paying a lot of it from COVID, I still have about like 120. And that's, that's crazy. And then... And I guess it's maybe even a plug for other first generation students to think about is maybe look at Glassdoor and to figure out well, how much your major is going to end up wor- uh, <laughs> worth afterwards. So I came into civil engineering, structural engineering thinking, oh, I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to take out all these loans. It'll be totally fine. Like I'll be making enough money. It'll be okay. I didn't realize I picked the cheapest engineering. <laughs> uh, I should have maybe picked like computer engineering or whatever, making a whole bunch more money starting off. I don't regret it at all, though. Again, I, I learned these skills that are it's good investments. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, it'll, it'll, it'll help me a lot in different ways. But just just as a plug, I guess, do your research because I did not. And I remember getting my first bill from the loans. It was probably over $1,500. And I was making maybe cash, like 3500 or something. And I remember just thinking, how am I going to afford this? Luckily, there's a lot of federal programs that help me scale down and everything. But I remember I was so shocked and yeah, it was just, it's something to definitely to consider. I, I oh, definitely, definitely, I definitely didn't get any advice. Like, you know, it's, it's part of the shitty system that they're push People are pushing you to go to college and take out all these loans and they don't really tell you how much the you consequences. Make, yeah. yeah. And how much you make or how much you need to pay back and yeah. how much of that, you know, interest compounds. Cause that's a thing. And so, um, Oh, for sure. You mentioned that you, went into it without realizing like the debt, but I'm glad that the civil engineering part of it still speaks to you. Like you're still really passionate about yeah, construction. Yeah. That's really nice. On the other end of the spectrum, like the entire reason I picked chemical engineering was because I was originally econ. And then I saw that most of the econ grads from U of H end up with like X salary on a glass door and chemical engineers end up with like X plus 30 K. So I was like, Oh, let me go make 30 K more. And I entered a job I didn't like. And I'm like, oh no, I picked it. I feel that hate, even though I'm good at it. <laughs> yeah. So I went from that to like doing some nuclear stuff at the DOE, and that I wasn't super passionate about. And then I like I went on a journey of not knowing what I like. So mm-hmm. I think it's a, for sure I highly recommend Glassdoor because it helps shine light for first gens like us to understand what opportunities are out there, how much you're worth, how much those positions are worth, how much value they're adding. But it's also important to make sure that they're aligning with your goals and your interests. Yeah, it is true. I guess I guess maybe. I'll- on, on top of that, also try to get scholarships. I was a little oh, yes. bit lazy on that. I actually transferred to Texas A&M, so I didn't get as much scholarships as I should have. If I would have gone straight out of high school, I think they were offering me full tuition or something like that. I don't remember. For whatever reason, I didn't pick that route because I was, again, dumb, young and dumb. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, I guess just do your due diligence, do the research, um, especially for first generation students. There's a whole bunch of funding out there. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, and quick plug a, for our listeners. There's a, sorry for cutting you off. Go 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 for you. Yeah, quick plug. There's an episode that I think Norma and Luz, one of them, did that recently. So go to our archives, listen to the one about scholarships. But go ahead. Yeah, no, I think that was that was basically it. Yeah, nice. take it take advantage of the resources because it sucks paying it back. <laughs> <laughs> Get that free money. Okay, so last question about LGO, and then we'll pivot into the impact stuff. So LGO, how like what's something interesting? It's been six months so far. You have another year and a half left. Like, what's something interesting that you've experienced? That, like, your mind has changed in some way. Like, what's a what, something uh, something unexpected? that you've really enjoyed about your growth or about the program? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with the cliche answer, but it's just my classmates. So there's 50 of us, right? And yourself included. But it's actually been really inspirational to see everybody's story because everybody's super different. Everybody comes from very different backgrounds. Everybody is going to do different things from different countries, from different cities. It's very it's very cool to see everybody's story and it's very inspiring. And you know, to see you going through all your startup stuff and trying to solve this massive problem about decarbonizing the world and you know seeing other people trying to bring nuclear engineering back to their home country in Singapore it's 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 really really cool just to see how passionate people are and it's inspiring because even though I might not have the same passions as, as the majority of the class and it's, it's almost like makes me want to work harder to go to my passion right and so I think that's been the most awesome thing the the cohort that we have and the stories and inspiration, how everybody's super smart and super talented. It just makes you want to work harder because there's definitely a lot of imposter syndrome that I have. I'm still trying to work through and stuff because people are super impressive. But at the same time, I and again, I had this when I was in A&M and all this kind of stuff. But just take a step back and just think, you know, we deserve to be here. Like sure. We got admitted for a reason. 100%. We work hard, we've been through really hard situations in whatever fashion through any of our upbringings and stuff. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's still a work in progress. Yeah, and it's been inspiring to have people like you in the class as well. And on that note, as to why it's inspiring to have people like you in my life, is the impact and goal that you mentioned earlier, that you're trying to focus on this big problem in the world, about poverty alleviation, about housing. Um, let's talk about that. You, you've hinted at it throughout it, uh, like throughout the conversation so far. It's kind of shaped your engineering degree. It's kind of shaped your pursuit of the MIT and MSMBA. But let's kind of talk about like the vision for the world. Like what, like what are the kinds of problems that you saw in Nicaragua that you want to like tackle? Like if you could like start a nonprofit or a company tomorrow that can like solve some of these problems, like what would it go after? Yeah, man, I could give. I could, we could go on a whole another episode <laughs> on this. But the main reason is that. I saw my family live this, right? My family back home was very poor. They didn't have uh, water. They don't have, we had to wake up at five o'clock in the morning to fill up barrels of water because we only had an hour to running water to use for the rest of the day to shower, to wash dishes, to cook. You know, we, I had friends who lived in almost shacks in a sense, not insulated. It was just, very, very different conditions than what we have here in the States. And again, the States also has its own set of problems, but that's that's my thing where I got to swear, I, I, I felt almost guilty for being American and the rest of my family living like this. And, you know, things have gotten better. You know, there's different family members that have better situations and everything like that. But 
it's then you see kids on the street and all those kind of things and so it's i don't know it's just i guess i was born with i guess pretty empathetic heart and so it was very sad for me to see that and so i tried a bunch of different things through a&m through working at the mission high school all those kind of things water stuff like that and i've because of my career and the way I just like doing construction when I was building stuff, I've uh, kind of settled more toward uh, affordable housing and homelessness and kind of eliminating that because, you know, eliminating poverty is, I think is too big of a problem for anybody to, to tackle. So you do have to narrow down the scope. Mm-hmm. And so just based on my skill set and what I like, and again, sort of my grandfather building that house that stood up, yeah. you know, want to build safe housing for people because it's shown, the studies shown that if you have, a good shelter every every aspect of your quality of life gets better you know your education your wages your mental health everything and so yeah if i could even go i don't even have to start a nonprofit. probably go back to new story and help them out help them scale up and help really you know make a difference shake things up to you know challenge the status quo of how things are done to really solve the problem in a sustainable way in that sense and sustainable, not even in the sense of just you know carbon emissions and stuff like that, but sustainable in the sense that these solutions will continue to you know grow and last for a long time. It's not just a band aid that we're putting on. So sure. yeah, that's that's kind of where my trajectory has been going these past couple of years, and probably will end up going. Mm-hmm. Um, I will probably be tying in more of carbon reduction in, in that as well, because I think that's also something that we need to to figure out. Because construction, the built environment, is a huge carbon emitter in the world i'll tie back to the carbon thing in a minute because as the the audience knows i'm super passionate about that but you recently mentioned that you so you're just in norway recently right and yeah then, and uh our, our, our roommate is from singapore and you mentioned like that you've compared like their housing situations and how it's different than like what you've seen in, in america uh like has that like kind of shaped like has this have this knowledge and these conversations shaped the way that you're approaching this at all yeah i remember so our roommate matt who talked about him he he said there's no homelessness in singapore and i was super shocked and then he said they had two people that were homeless and they made national news and it was this whole crazy thing and then norway i was with my friend visiting him and he was saying the same thing that they're kind of a social democracy and so everybody has a right to housing no matter what and they will help you find jobs and whatever depending on whatever situation that you're in and so it's it's really awesome and so sometimes I think, why can't the U.S. be like that? Or why can't Latin America be like that? But it is two very different or a whole bunch of different situations, right? The U.S. is on a whole massive other scale as a country. Latin America is very, you know, some countries are very, very poor. Norway has oil. Singapore is, you know, this is very well financially. So there, it's very different situations, right? Oh, sure. it's, it's not apples to apples. So, but again, it is inspiring to see that there's a group of people that care about the collective in the sense that the care that everybody wants to be taken care of. And so that part I think can be, you know, replicated in other places, hopefully. But again, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to come back and diversify and learn all these things because, you know, the scale is different, the culture is different, the finances are different in the US, Latin America, Norway, Singapore, where you name it, right? Africa, India. So you have to be able to learn these frameworks and, and skills to to be able to analyze and really make again a sustainable difference and bigger impact. That's one of the cool things about being here at MIT to be able to have the ability to compare these different situations globally and then say like how can you take the lessons and implement them where you want to implement them. 
But I guess going back to the organization you mentioned in California that's working mm-hmm. uh, on affordable housing, like what, I guess, could you share to our audience, like what, like what attracted you to them? Like what is their unique approach and like what gets you so excited about that? Yeah. So they're a startup. They're young. They are ambitious. It, some of their goals are very, very, very ambitious. And so, but I actually, that's, that is what attracted me to them because it was since like, these guys seem kind of crazy, but maybe we need a little bit of crazy, right? To to really figure something out. Uh, so yeah, it was just I think their their values and the mission aligned very well with what I what I have, mm-hmm. and you know it was a very huge problem, and they seemed very motivated, and I think you know why not help them out? So that that's what attracted me to them. Nice. And then do you do do you see yourself like in some capacity? working on this problem as you move forward yeah no i I mean i still am even at mit so i i'm still connected with their vc arm um we still have you know i still talk with them every now and then uh they when i was working with them before mit we actually were working with with a research group at mit and i actually still talk to the professors and to those phd students and help out in any way because because i did work in industry Mm -hmm. it does help to have my perspective from their academic arm because they, they sometimes they don't know how things are built or how things really work. <laughs> so it is good. It's a, it's a good synergy that yeah. we, we have. So yeah, I'm still working on it even right now at MIT. Nice. Yeah. That, that lab to field implementation is always super hard, like translating lab to, to market. And you have spent like time in, on, like, in Nicaragua trying to implement grassroots projects, like mm-hmm. trying to uh, drill wells or like help people with, housing there so it's cool that you're able to be that bridge and actually understand how to actually how to do the real construction while working with these innovative researchers yeah and so again that's that's the reason why i was saying that although i didn't make i mean i, I made good money but i didn't make you know computer engineering google money type of stuff <laughs> or finance type of things but th- those skill sets are very valuable for the fulfillment the mission the stuff that i want to do mm-hmm. like you're saying you know you worked at Exxon and DOE, you weren't super passionate because you're in line with your values. But yeah, I'm okay with making a little bit less money, but able to make a difference in what I want to do. And so, yeah, I saw it as an investment and it's definitely paying off now because I, I am able to be very helpful to very smart people at MIT that I can't do what they do, but I'm able to advise them and help them out and be like, hey, no, we should do it like this because this is how it's done in the real world and in the field. And so it's been very valuable in that sense. That's inspiring. Going from like a first gen, going back and forth from Texas to Nicaragua, seeing all these problems to advising researcher at MIT. That's that's an inspiring story for our listeners. Yeah, it's been it's been cool. Again, like I didn't know I would be here, but <laughs> it's been a cool journey looking back on it now for sure. Okay, so we're towards the end here. Let me ask a final question, and it's going to be a focus at our listeners who are going to be first gen students, whether they're in high school, undergrad, or in grad school. They're all going through their own first-gen experiences. Do you have any advice for them? Or maybe advice you have to yourself uh, when you were 18 or 19 or 20 about how to approach school, how to approach life, something that you wish you knew? Maybe two things. One is you deserve to be there. I mentioned a little bit earlier before, but there's, and it still happens now, there's been a lot of times you get this imposter syndrome or there's some, you know, not necessarily super inclusive environments and stuff like that, but in whatever form or fashion, you, know, you might not have the best grades or whatever, except blah, 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 but we all deserve 
to be here, right? We all deserve to take advantage of these opportunities and stuff like that. And second of all, that it'll be okay in a sense that there's, there's going to be a lot of stress and times you're going to feel lost and stress that you don't know what, where to go, what major to pick, what job to, to go after college, but it ends up all being okay because we're able to rely on our community in a sense, in the sense that, again, I realized that I had a lot of this help and privilege and all this kind of stuff and I want to pay it forward. And so, you know, whenever you guys get to that spot, do the same for the next generation too. That's inspiring. Well, awesome, members. Thank you so much for joining us, and thanks for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Oh, yeah, I don't know how much wisdom that was, but yeah, thanks, Chip. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it.